What's up, guys? Welcome to the number one podcast for coaches, the Coaches Collective. We are back in action after a short break this past season, and since we last spoke, there's been quite a bit of change in the game, to say the least. This past year, in nearly every other industry, the great resignation has swept the nation. Is the same thing happening in the coaching profession? If you're enjoying the content, make sure to subscribe and give us a follow on Twitter at Coach Collect. As always, get your pen and paper ready for another episode of the Coaches Collective. Coaches, welcome back, man. It's been six months since we talked to you last. Last time we were uh, gathered together for our podcast, we had Coach Dabo Sweeney, who was generous enough to spend some time with us during training camp. And a lot has happened for each of us in the past six months, and we're excited to, to really get the podcast back kicked up and rolling again. Um, hopefully bring a, a bunch of guests back on the show, but also kind of give some of our thoughts and um, experiences with you as well. So um, I'll start. I'm down in Houston, Texas now. Me and Derek are actually neighbors, uh, not too far away, which is is pretty awesome. We're, we're fired up about that. I'm coaching high school ball at Episcopal High School in uh, Houston, Texas here, and I'll kick it over to Derek and then Chris can can give you a little update about where they're at right now. Yeah, man, it's uh, we were talking about it the other day. It's just it's so wild to think about. We started doing this a year ago. Um, at that point, Chris was up in Jersey. Dan was out in the Carolinas. I had, was just coming up on, on a year and a half or so here in Houston and now me and Dan are neighbors. So, um, me and Dan are neighbors and me and Chris are working together. So, um, not, not coaching, um, slinging real estate right now, me and Maleo are, so, um, having fun, loving it. So it's all good. Yeah, it's, it's been, uh, it's been a unique ride, right? I think there's just so much synergy between the three of us and everything that we do, uh, for a variety of reasons in a variety of ways, but, um, like Derek said, you know, he and I are in the commercial real estate space. Um, I'm actually st- in the middle of starting a real estate syndication and fund. Um, you know, I, I actually moved down to Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. For those of you who don't know where Ponte Vedra Beach is, look it up on the map. It's one of the best places in the world. Don't move here. Um, <laughs> let me have my peace. I'm three miles from the ocean and I'll, uh, I'll have my, my feet in the sand in a week. So um, yeah, it's been great missing ball and we're excited to get this thing kicked off again because we've had such demand. I mean, I can't I can't begin to tell you guys how many people have reached out to me on like Twitter or Instagram or text messages and saying, when, the, when is the podcast going to get and go again? And uh, here we are and we're ready to get it ready, get it back up and running. And we have, we have a lot to talk about because I mean, we are, we are a podcast for coaches by coaches. And, you know, one of the things that we've really pushed is kind of this idea that you can coach at a high level while also doing other things in your life at a high level, being a husband, being a father, um, and as you guys have shown, kind of uh, even expanding beyond football and using those skills and abilities that you've developed through the game in um, the private sector and in, in commercial real estate. It's been fun watching that journey for you guys take off. Um, but we have a lot to talk about because a lot of a lot of coaching changes has happened, have happened and uh, the transfer portal has made the world very different than it was when we started this thing about a year ago. Yeah, and NIL, throw that in the mix as well. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think let's start with how many coaches have transitioned, right? And you look at guys who have, quote unquote, been fired or left voluntarily and guys who have left for other positions. 
Um, you know, I think it is a unique landscape in college football right now for a variety of reasons. And, and I think the lack of loyalty from universities to coaches and coaches to universities is uh, not surprising at all. But the greatest impact it has on the players, it, it, the, the people that it has the greatest impact on is the players. And so the transfer portal has been a, an equalizer, unfortunately. Um, and as, as messed up as the transfer portal is, it's it's given the players some power. It's given them some ability to make choices, um, you know, for their careers and for their futures. And it's 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 good to see the players be empowered a little bit. Although I speak, I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth. The transfer portal has been problematic at the same time. Yeah, yeah. You know, I uh, tweeted something earlier this morning, and it was like, "Drop a new episode." The Great Resignation. Why are so many coaches leaving coaching? Um, I mean, it is crazy, you know, um, and uh, I had several people reach out just through message and they're like, man, you guys are, you guys are saying what we're thinking. And I think that's really what we're trying to do. It's like, we've, we've preached this message since we started it, but it's a podcast for coaches by coaches. And we want to talk about the stuff that everyone's thinking, but nobody's saying, yeah. cause at some point it's, it's, it's literally, it's got to change, you know? So it's a uh, interesting times right now for sure. Well, it's it's interesting because each of us started uh, coaching high school football at a very young age. We were all in our twenties, early twenties, mid twenties when we started being. We were head high school football coaches, and I think each and every one of us through this journey of coaching, we had these aspirations where we wanted to be the best in our craft possible, and we pursued college opportunities, pro opportunities. We pursued all these different things, and for a variety of reasons. Um, didn't land certain places for one reason or another. And I think a lot of coaches have that uh, story of kind of pursuing, you know, rising up and climbing the ladder. And what I've been so, I, I just can't believe every time I check, you know, the updates and see kind of where my friends are at, um, the amount of headlines you get where so-and-so is stepping away from football, not just coaching at a school, but like football entirely. And you're seeing that you're seeing guys in the sec decide that they're going to go back down and take a college or a high school coaching job because you know you got to you just got to wonder like what is going on in the college football world or even in the high school football world that is is creating so much tension for guys and really you know whether it's pushing guys out or, or what you know a lot of guys are leaving the profession and i think that's problematic and sad and i think we need to we need to talk about why that might be happening right right you know we uh, Dan, I think I was telling you this the other day. I was talking to a guy who was former Division One offensive coordinator um, at a number of different places. So uh, has coached at a very, very high level and is in his mid to late – he's late 30s. And he's like, man, you know, at this point in time, he's like, I just – I'm done because – Ultimately, with transfer portal, everything else that's going on, he's like, no matter how good of a coach I am on the grass, I really don't have any control over the success of my career. I was like, dang, that's that kind of hit me. I was like, you know, I mean, he's to an extent, he's right. I mean, you guys can disagree. I don't know, but I, I was kind of with him and it really kind of hit me there for a second. Yeah. I mean, I like in, um, you know, the coaching profession to being an artist, like a musician or an actor, right? Like 
there are, I think, more talented people out there who aren't at the top of their profession, you know, that we're just like watching, playing music in the street right now and we're dropping dollar bills in their buckets. And I think, you know, that references, you know, there are, I think, a lot of high level coaches who for one way or another, and this is not to demean lower level tiers of football because there are some phenomenal division three coaches, division two coaches, but like, I know division three coaches that should be coaching <laughs> at, at LSU. Without a doubt. Without like, a doubt. I know that there are. Um, and you you know, part of it, the, the question is like, well, why are they not? But, you know, I mean, anecdotally, I, since I've moved down here and, I'm, you know, we're all fortunate, we've got great relationships with coaches and I've, I have some phenomenal ones with guys and we'll never mention names on here, but I've had a number of guys reach out to me, say, Hey, I'm recruiting the area. Let's go grab lunch. And the amount of, I'm talking big 10 sec, big 12 guys that are position coaches that are making a, an excellent salary that a lot of guys at most levels would be drooling over who were saying to me that they're facing an existential crisis about the coaching profession and what it's done to them and their families. I mean, I, I like, I think back, I was putting Christmas lights up in my house. I was on my roof and a, a, a power five uh, defensive coach called me up and was telling me a story about how he was ready to get out because he was tired of raising other people's kids and not his own. Wow. And it, it was powerful. And I, and I think, once again, it goes back to the demands that universities and, you know, fan bases and boosters and, you know, are putting on coaches. And then what those head coaches, it's a trickle down effect or then putting on their coaching staffs. Um, and it's something that needs to be reevaluated and needs to be recalibrated. Unfortunately, it's going to have to take a, like, it has to going to be a revival. And I think it's going to be young coaches who are going to get in the game and just say, we can do this differently Yeah, uh, because it's, it is just, it just reeks as a model of inefficiency as it stands. And I, and I'll say that to any head coach in college football space, like if I, if I were to follow you around for a day as a consultant, I would tell you that we could cut out four hours of just pure BS that doesn't need to happen so that guys could go home and have dinner with their families. Well, and this is, this is, you know, as you mentioned that, Chris, this is something me and Derek have talked a lot about. We, you know, we, we talk a lot about compensation in the coaching profession, whether it's high school coaches kind of bemoaning lack of compensation, you know, depending where you are, depending what state you are, obviously some states take really good care of coaches. Some do not. Um, and then when we talk about college coaches or professional coaches, you know, you, you've got guys that are making really good money to coach football. Um, and, and I think we've kind of unfortunately made compensation just about the money. And one of the things that me and Derek have talked about a lot is that you can compensate people by giving them freedom. Mm. Like that is a form of compensation. Mm -hmm. And imagine if the coaching profession took the same view that like a Google or Apple or some of these other like tech companies take where it's like, Hey, here's the work that needs to get done. And however you want to do it, that's great. And after that, like you're, you're not, you're not on the clock. You're not guarding the desk. And I know we've kind of talked about this in past episodes, but there, I think there's an extreme lack of freedom in the coaching profession where you can't be present with your family. Um, and you can't step away from it because even when you're physically away from the office, you are connected with, I mean, some of these guys are carrying around three cell phones yeah. talking to recruits all day long. I mean, this, it's just, I understand the demand of it because it's such a competitive environment. Um, but we have to do something different to give guys enough freedom that they can have a sustainable life and actually coach for the duration of their professional life. Well, and that's, and that you, you said it, it's, uh, there's got to be a way that it's sustainable. You know, there's, there's no, I mean, yes, it's the, the coaching profession, like football's hard. You know, there's a lot to do. 
when you're a head coach or coordinator position, it doesn't matter. Like there's, there's always a lot of stuff to do no during doubt. the day, but over the course of a career, if you're a guy that's in it for the long haul and you want to sustain this over a number of years, like, what do you do? Like, you know, we, we talked about the other day, it's like, well, you know, um, we, we also preach discipline all the time too. And at the end of the day, I think, and I'm, I'm preached to the choir here and I, I know I need to do better as well. It's like coaches are some of the least disciplined people that I know. And it's like to really structure a day and be efficient with your time, uh, involve your family. There's gotta be a really significant level of discipline. Um, that I just, I don't, I don't, I don't see it very often, you know? Yeah. It's unique. I mean, you know, think about this for a second. Cause I think, I think this stood out to me more than anything in this, this current college football season, how many college football coaches were fired in the middle of the year? Whew. Right? Like early, like early. early, early, you know, and, and we're talking guys like, I mean, you know, granted he, I guess, resigned, but he was forced at Gary Patterson. Okay. Like, I mean, we could talk, we could just have an episode on, on the Gary Patterson saga. You look at, you know, Manny Diaz and what happened at Miami and kind of how they held him hostage a little bit. Matt Wells was let go after, you know, early, pretty fairly early. At, I think he was five and three at tech when they let him go. Yep. Um, you know, look, it, it just, there, there are a ton, right. We can go through all of them, but the amount of guys let go in the middle of the year. And you, so like, you have to wonder because that disrupts a team, right? Regardless of what happens, it's going to disrupt. A team. I, you, I would be hard pressed to think unless there's some massive cultural issues and leadership issues in a program that a team is better off with a new coach and firing a coach in the middle of the year. Like, I just don't, I don't, I don't believe that you, I think you could ride it out with a barely decent coach and, and make it happen, but they're trying to get a jump on the next guy. And, right, right. and right. And so like, once again, we go back to, people's intentions and their motivations, these colleges and universities, they're, they're thinking about the bottom line. And I think once again, what gets lost in, in all the wash here are the kids and the players, which is really what this is all about, right? At the end of the day. For sure. For sure. Um, and I think it's the, it's the main reason why guys get into coaching to begin with, right? They have these ideas that, uh, you know, they can have an impact on kids' lives, which you certainly can. Um, but then you get into the thick of it and you, you quickly realize, depending on who you're working for and the situation, things can get pretty ugly. I mean, let's talk about for a minute, my friend, Josh Gaddis, right? Like a close friend of mine going to Miami. Like, I don't know the details yet. I'm not going to pretend to know, but like, that was some big news that came out yesterday um, for him to just walk away from a great situation. We're talking about a Broyles award winner and he just left the program. Now we could get on to, you know, we could talk a little bit about Jim Harbaugh. And, you know, going to the Vikings and interviewing with the Vikings and, you know, how that situation was handled. But once again, it goes back to the system, right? And what's in place. And there's, there's very little, I think, that protects the players besides the transfer portal and assistant coaches for that matter. I mean, think about how many assistant coaches are really left by the wayside. Well, and, and one and assistant coaches whose head guy gets hired at a better job, quote unquote, better job. Sure. And all of a sudden you go from having the best year of your coaching career to being unemployed. Right. And I've had conversations with guys this offseason that are that are telling me that exact story. Hmm. You know, I, I didn't I didn't get the ticket to come with. Hmm. And for some coaches, it's you know, that's a decision that they made. And sometimes administrative uh, the administration is kind of saying, hey, you can't bring all your guys. I mean, I know that there's there's com complex um, 
you know, inner workings that, that are behind that. But I think it, it also, and this is a conversation that we've had a lot over the years is the hiring process itself is flawed. Hmm. Who are these decision makers and how are they making decisions and how much are, are they in a time crunch and unable to do due diligence on guys? And, you know, guys are, have very little time to put together staff and it just is a recipe for disaster. I mean, imagine if a corporation were doing these turnovers every two or three years where you cleaned house and had to assemble from scratch um, a whole new staff, both on the field and off the field. And so I feel like there's just not uh, coaches are not set up for success, but I I do want real quick to return to what Chris was saying earlier about the players. Um, The players, I think in some senses are left by the wayside, but now they have more freedom than ever to potentially follow a guy that they really want to play for. And has that created some level of accountability within the coaching profession to say how I treat people really does matter because guys can leave at the drop of a hat. I, I think for sure. Right. I mean, there there's, there's no way it doesn't particularly in recruiting, you know, I mean, you, you hear some of these stories about guys who, have really great relationships with one school and chose to go to another. And because the school that they chose not to go to handled it really well, or that, that recruiting area, that area recruiter, you know, really was like a total pro about it. Wish that kid good luck. When that kid goes to make decision number two, which it seems like 75% of kids in college football are doing now, right. they, they, they go directly towards that guy that showed them their, their, their propers. I mean, I remember situations I was, when I chose to go to Northwestern, I distinctly remember Tom O'Brien and two members of his staff, I'm going to call it Tom O'Brien, coming into my school without it, without any teachers present, no coach. My coach wasn't there at the time and just dog cussing me up and down the hallway about why I didn't go to Boston College. Tell me I was, you know, it was a terrible decision, that I was immature, all these things. And it was like, hey, man, you just made this decision even easier. Um, (laughs) But this, I think, you, you know, I think for players right now that there is that level of accountability, like you have to respect the players. I don't think you can treat them you know, as you once did because the power of the NIL deals, because the power of the transfer portal and because the power of social media. Um, Oh yeah. I I think it it does. It it allows the players to have a platform that they've never had before. Um, And it's, it's really, it's fascinating to watch. So, I mean, and this is a question for you guys. Do you think with this like shift in power to the players, is it, is it exposing the good guys or the bad guys? Mm, Great question. I think, Man, I think both. I think yeah. both. I mean, I think you're seeing you're seeing kids flood to and at the end of the day, like let's let's call it call it how we see it. Like if we're if this is a if college football ultimately has become a business mm-hmm. and these kids are making business decisions, they're right. ultimately not just gonna go to the nice nicest guy, they're gonna go to the the coach who can maximize their return on investment. Right. And so, you know, I don't know if we can just say like, he's a nice guy. He's not a nice guy. Like who is maximizing the return? I think, you know, obviously we don't know Nick Saban personally, but he has a very clear value proposition that if you come and, and, and be, if you're a part of my program, you are going to be put in the best position to be successful at the next level. And guys have just seen that come true over and over again. And I think there's a level of honesty to that, that guys are willing to do hard things for a guy like Nick Saban, where they may not be willing 
for somebody else. Right. Yeah, it's quid pro quo, right? I, unfortunately, I think, and that's like, you know, the, the world that we're, we're living in. So, you know, what have you done for me lately? What can you do for me now? Um, look, look, the transfer portal is is great for kids, but it's also, I think, in, in that they, once again, we, it, it empowers them, all those things that can expose really bad coaches. And I think you, you look back on, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll say it for what it is, like Todd Graham fired at, you know, Hawaii. You know, some of the reports that came out about him at Hawaii, I mean, you know, or if, however he wants to defend himself, he can defend himself. But like some of that stuff was really bad. Um, and so it allowed, once again, it allows players to have a platform. But the other piece of it is colleges are, it's like anything else that you enter into, like you hope that there's a sense of purity to it. Colleges are recruiting players that are not in the transfer portal. Okay. That's, that is happening. I know that for a fact, I've talked to a number of my players that are high level players that are all conference players at major programs. And these are former guys that I coached in high school who are calling me up, telling me that they are not in the transfer portal, that they're being called by a number of schools saying, Hey, come here and be our starting middle linebacker. Hey, here, come here. And you're going to be our starting Z. And they're, you know, they're top 10 programs or top 15 programs. And they're looking for players and they're just calling people that are on other players rosters that are, that they've been developed by other coaches that have been part of a culture. And I think this is going to be in some respects, the demise of college football. And here's why I say that because really good coaches and really good people. So like, uh, and I'm going to put those two in the same category. Like I think you have to be a really good, co- really good person to uh, you don't have to be a really good person to be a really good coach, unfortunately. But I do think that really good people and really good coaches, that it's like, it's a necessity to have those in college football. I think they're going to, they're going to see the landscape and be like, you know what? I can do something else and I can be successful in something else. And the, and this, the reality is that they're right. I mean, I think, I think it's harder now than ever to coach in college and then you turn around in high school and it's harder than ever to get your kids recruited because Mm. no one's looking at high school kids anymore. Mm. Mm. And I think a lot of high school programs, again, it varies state to state, but a lot of high school programs have maybe just as much pressure to win as some of these college programs. Um, and don't have a level of understanding with what it takes from the coach's perspective um, to put together winning teams year after year. And I think that kind of brings us a little bit full circle to this idea of people getting burnt out um, and, and expectations not meeting reality. And how do we, how do I handle that? How do I handle that? How, especially if I have a family who, you know, I want to, I want my kids to grow up in a certain area of the country, but you know, I, I don't have much control. How do I, how do I handle that? And that's a question both of you guys have been asking. Right. Right. No. And we've all got unique perspectives. I mean, Chris and I are not in real estate, not coaching Dan, you're coaching, but uh, have several other different business ventures on the side football related. Um, and I, the last thing I want this to come across as is us like bashing the coaching profession and no doubt there needs to be, there needs to be a great resignation. No, it's not that like, we just, we, we see a problem and we want to talk about it because no one else is. So for the guy that's like, you know, maybe, maybe I am burnt out. Maybe, maybe I've, I've had a good run. I want to try something else. That's something we've talked about. And um, it's funny because 
Chris and I work in a brokerage and like half the guys that we work with are former football coaches. So talk about like the, the skills that you've developed as a coach, how well they translate to the business world. Mm. Chris, you can probably touch on that. I mean, you, you're, you're in it right now and, and you see it too. Yeah. I, I, I don't think what you said could have been more appropriate. Um, you know, I, so much of what we do as coaches is transferable. And we have, like, as Derek said, we have amazing reverence for the coaching profession. And I, I think it's why we speak with such passion about this, this topic because we want to see it get better. We want to see guys enjoy it. And we want to see it be a, a, a profession that can be fruitful and, and, and beneficial to everyone involved. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, you know, I've always said this like half joking, but 95% serious is that uh, I could be successful at anything I do. I, I firmly believe that. And I am. And it's because the same things that made me successful as a coach are making me successful in real estate, right? The attention to detail, the organization, um, you know, the persistence, the willingness to like think outside the box, like all of those things. And then the ability to communicate and relate to people. Like I, to me, those were the foundations. Those are things that I felt were important as a coach. And I gave, you know, on the win loss record, I was, I had success there. And now in real estate, I'm finding the same thing. Um, and it's not rocket science guys, you know, that's really not, you know, and mo- most guys can, can take everything that they do from the field and they can walk into a boardroom and be equally, if not more successful. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. It's funny. The other day, Chris sent me, uh, it was like Saturday and he was like, Hey man, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm essentially making a practice script for my life right now. Let me just send it <laughs> check it out. And uh, I didn't really know what he was talking about. And then he sent it to me and it's legitimately like, like period one, 5 a.m. <laughs> alarm clock or it was 4:45 like alarm clock 15 minutes later like drink one cup of coffee 10 minutes later <laughs> dress ready for the gym and it was like all the way down like family time dinner make my calls like bang 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 he sent it to me and he was like do you think this would like should we share this with the other guys and to me it was like I mean it was, it was so normal not that I do that but it was I was like yeah I've, I've this makes complete sense but to some of these other guys that have not been a coach, this would blow their mind. Right. Right. Um, it was just, it was funny though, but he, Chris said, he's like, you know, the, those basic things that are second nature to us, they 100% translate. Um, and it, guys got to see that. Yeah. Well, and this is a conversation me and Derek had the other day was, you know, we ultimately got to go back to the foundation of everything and why we started coaching to begin with. And, and all three of us agreed that we think coaching is a calling Mm -hmm. that it's something that we feel passionate about because it's bigger than ourselves. It's, it's bigger than even the team. It's um, I I think it was Billy Graham who said, you know, a coach reaches more people in a year than, than anybody else could. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if you're truly invested in it for the right reasons, that's absolutely true. And I think one of the things that's come through some of these conversations is that even though Derek and and Chris are in uh, commercial real estate right now, the goal would still be able to, or the goal would still be to be able to coach for free at at a local high school, right? I mean, like it's not about, it's not about the level. It's not about the prestige. It's not about the money. It's about the impact. And we truly believe that football is such a unique game because it, brings together all of these different types of people and they all have to focus on one goal together. And so much transformation happens in that experience. 
and we all experience it as players. We all experience it as coaches. And so I think it's, it's, it's this balancing act that all three of us are kind of working through right now of, we believe coaching is a calling. We're also passionate about our families. We're also passionate about the skill sets um, that can translate into other areas of life and leadership and those, those lessons that we've learned. Um, but we'd love to be able to, to be coaching for free. And we wouldn't have to be afraid of getting fired and our, our kids having to be pulled out of school mid-year. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, you said it earlier. It's like, you know, not, uh, I'm not, I'm not a guy that's necessarily motivated by, by money. I'm motivated by freedom. Um, and now that I've been out of it and had a taste of that, it's like, it's, it's really brought to light, you know, what, what were the things I truly loved about coaching? It was like being in a locker room, being on the field, like work with my athletes, developing camaraderie within my staff. Um, it was really all about relationships. And I like, I truly do miss that. And I 100% will coach one day, but it will be on my own terms. Right. And it'll be for, it, it will be for free. Um, so if we, if, if we create a movement here where, uh, coaches just, jump ship and all jump into real estate and uh, decide they're coaching for free. Fine. So be it. But um, that's, that's where I'm at now. Yeah. Anybody who follows me on Instagram knows that nobody loves freedom more than I do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Or is, or is as big a fan of it as I am. Um, And so well said, Derek, but yeah, I think, you know, I, you know, I have, I have this, this saying that I, I don't know if I coined it or not, but I've been saying it a lot lately, lately and a lot of my friends and family picked up on it and it's, it's prioritize the priorities. Mm. And I don't think that that happens enough, right? Like we prioritize so many other things that are non-essential in our lives um, because of pressure that like when it comes time to actually prioritize what's most important, the actual priorities, it, it, it naturally falls by the wayside. And as Derek said, like I was obsessed as a coach and, and I think as much as I loved coaching, it became somewhat unhealthy, like the recruiting, the game planning, everything that I did, the attention to detail, as much as I loved it, it became an obsession and it wasn't the right kind of obsession for me. And so and I was coaching at the high school level. And so I think about guys who are at the college level and then the unique pressure that they have guys who are into the 17 week NFL regular season and the unique pressure they have. And it's just, you know, it's unfortunate because the, I would say for the most part, the, for the most part, not all, most guys care about being husbands and fathers more than they do being football coaches, but they don't have the luxury of being able to make that choice. Right. And, and yeah. prioritize said priorities. And it's, it is that luxury of choice. And as Derek said, um, since I've gotten out of coaching and all the, the amazing time I get to invest, not spend, invest in my children and my wife has been the returns I've seen on that investment have been 30 fold. And I'm mm-hmm. grateful for it. Um, and I will get back into coaching because I agree Like we, we all have this unique skill set and passion to help in kids and um, you know, to, to, to help them traverse kind of the nature of, you know, being a teenager and playing football and the lessons that you learn all those things. But when I do it, it's going to be on my own terms because I'm financially in a position where I don't need to be working to do it. So, um, that's a, that's a little bit of a plug for anybody who's out there. If they want to start investing in real estate or talk to Derek and I, they should reach out to <laughs> us. Uh, cause we've got some, we've got some great things going. It can help people create freedom. So, yeah. 
We're, we're, by the end of this podcast, we're going to have a coaches fund started where we're just going to be getting everybody freedom so Dan, they can. Dan uh, said they can... It. <laughs> hey, it wouldn't be hard to buy a large multifamily apartment complex with a bunch of coaches who <laughs> have right. a little money on the side. So that's right. No, but I mean, that's I think right. I think what you're all all of what you're saying. I think so, so many times as coaches, and we've all felt it because we've all been there. We're such prisoners of the moment where all we see is, you know, is my team going to be any good next year? Um, you know, I lost my, I lost my quarterback, you know, what are we going to do? And we, we get stuck in these, these short term um, crises that really, you know, in the grand scheme of things, aren't crises at all. Um, but we get caught in these things and we, it, it really prevents us from um, being strategic with our future. Like we're so strategic with our team and we're not very strategic with our future. And I think when I met you guys, both of you challenged me to be more strategic about my future and my family and setting them up for the long run. And so even though I have no plans to step away from coaching, I just, it's just, it's, it's too much a part of me in this season of my life. I think um, you guys have really challenged me to see the bigger picture um, and that coaching is a piece of it, but it's not everything. Um, and I'm similarly obsessed. I mean, uh, you don't have to, you don't have to be on my Twitter for very long to know how obsessed I am with football, but I think I've, I've been able to step back, especially during the pandemic and say, what matters most to me, my two kids that we, that we adopted a couple of years ago, um, that meant more to me than anything. And I was fortunate enough to get a coaching job down here in Houston, close to family where my, where my wife is from. I mean, it was a great family decision for us. Um, but I, I do feel like that decision was made on, on my terms. Um, and I think, you know, I, I think that's our biggest encouragement. Our encouragement for coaches is not get out of coaching by any means. It's try to find a place where you can coach on your terms with people that respect you for more than just football. Mm. Do they respect you because you know how to teach GT counter or do they respect you because of the person you are mm. and you can learn the details, but if you're around people that respect who you are and what you value, you're going to have a much better experience. Preach, preach. I, I, th I think we can end it on that one, but really at the end of the day, it's take a step back and just say, man, what, why am I doing this? Yeah. You know, why am I doing this? Yeah. Uh, without sounding too much like I'm a motivational speaker, uh, it, it, time is short. It's, it's, it's very finite. You know, it's, uh, it's just say life, you know, it's, it can be a brief candle, you know, and it's just like, it happens like that. I'm watching it with my kids grow up now and they're young. They're three They're You know, my daughter's going to be three. My son's nine months old. And like, I'm watching people who are teenagers and the, the wisdom that they pass down. They're like, my kids grew up so fast. It goes fast. You hear it all the time. Like when you were, when you walked into a college locker room, when you were a freshman and the head coach would used to tell you, Hey, freshman, you're going to be up here and you're going to be seniors. It goes fast. No you never really think about it. Right. And it's so, it gets so compressed. And then all of a sudden you're sitting in that front row. And now I think about that from a parent's perspective, how quickly those moments will move and they don't, you don't get them back. There's no right. timeouts. There's no rewinds. It, when, as soon as they pass you by, they pass you by. Yep. And so, you know, I'm going to keep encouraging everyone uh, to prioritize those priorities, continue to make what's most important, most important and figure everything else out. So surround those things with football uh, as, as my, uh, my a hero of mine, Troy Palomalu, my favorite NFL player once said, he said, I don't love football. I love life. And football just so happens to be a part of my life. That's amazing. Hmm.